the volume. Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at errands. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At errands, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With errands, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Errands fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, welcome to Lakers Tonight, presented by The Volume. I am Jason Timp. I am very excited to be joining the team here at The Volume, and I'm very excited to build this show with them. For those of you guys who don't know me, I live in Tucson, Arizona. Used to play in college back in the day. I coach high school kids now. I also do some individual training. I live and breathe the game of basketball every day, but at the core, I'm a fan just like you guys. I've been covering the Lakers for about four years on the podcasting front for about two years. We're going to be taking a lot of what we were doing with State of the Lakers into this show My goal is for it to basically be like that type of post-game Lakers reaction, but with just a touch of coverage from the rest of the league and hitting the big stories from all of the other big teams around the league. So I'm very, very excited to get started. Let's get to the basketball. So that was a much more entertaining basketball game than what we got last night, which was one of the ugliest basketball games I've ever seen and very difficult to take anything from because it was kind of that Jekyll and Hyde type of character that we've been getting from the Lakers all season. The biggest issue with them is they've been an inconsistent effort and focus team. You know, the Clippers were favored tonight, and they should have been. The reason why is because they're a better basketball team than us. And I mean that sincerely. Yes, I know we have Anthony Davis, but they're a better basketball team than us. And it's because everything has to do with fitting that talent that you have with a specific scheme, playing to your strengths. And the Clippers are, as I've said many times on the show in the past, the best example in the league of a team that maximizes their talent by leaning into their strengths. They have a boatload of guys that are between 6'5 and 6'8 that can defend multiple positions, that can shoot the basketball, and that can put the basketball on the floor and make plays for others, either getting all the way to the rim or you know, your classic drive-and-kick type of basketball. That's why they won tonight, 
That's why they won, have won more often this season than we have, despite the fact that we have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the team. You know, when it comes, uh, first of all, I want to give the Lakers some credit. They showed a lot of fight there in that second half. It got the the story of this week so far has been second quarter, third quarter malaise. Just getting getting out to a hot start, playing hard on both ends of the floor, then getting out of that groove, getting really sloppy and very pickup game esque on the offensive end of the floor, and then the other team going on a run and it leading to that bad body language and that lackadaisical getting up and down the floor type of of nature that has plagued this team. All year long. But they showed some fight towards the end of the game. I got to give credit where credit is due. Russell Westbrook, who has been one of the worst late game decision makers I have ever seen this season, was awesome down the stretch of this game. And made a lot of big shots and made smart passes, avoided the catastrophic turnover. There was a play late in the game where he got that head of steam and started headed up the floor. And Russ many times this season has just tried to be a bull in a china shop and run everybody over. But no, he pulled it back. He ran offense, and it resulted in a, ba- a basket for the Lakers. Uh, Anthony Davis, dominant on both ends of the floor. I thought he was going to make that running floater into the lane. That's a high-quality shot for him. And you know what? The Clippers just made more shots. That was a really, really tough uh, three that Marcus Morris made in the corner there. That, that defended perfectly. Pump fake. Guy contesting from behind. He's leaning to the side. That's a tough shot. When you put yourself in a close game, it becomes about who makes the big shots at the end. And both teams made lots of big shots. The difference is, is the Lakers went into that stretch down by six, you know, with a few minutes left. And the Clippers had a little bit more margin for error. So even though they didn't play as well as the Lakers did down the stretch, it wasn't enough. Uh, Malik Monk made some big shots down the stretch. I thought it was interesting that they went to Trevor Ariza to try to go bigger. Lots of good from the Lakers in that fourth quarter. But here we are again. And the Lakers are one in four in their in this five game stretch without LeBron. And it's funny because you see a lot of people try to blame one specific thing for this team struggling. You know, you hear a lot. You, you have this camp of people that think you have this camp of people that think Russell Westbrook is to blame for everything that has happened with the roster. You have this camp of people that think that Frank Vogel is to blame for everything that has happened on the roster. You have people that blame the veteran minimum contracts and how they haven't panned out or the injuries. And guys, the reality is, is if you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on your roster and you're three games below 500, just about everything has to go wrong. Now, for me personally, I attribute it down to three key identity changes that the Lakers went this offseason, all of which backfired. The first one has to do with the offensive end of the floor. If you look at the team that won the title, the the Laker team that won in 2020, they were a bad offensive team. Now, going into the bubble, they were a top 10 offense, but it was primarily fueled by what they did in transition. If you dug into the numbers, they were one of the worst half-court offenses in the league. But they were incredible on the defensive end. They were third in the league in defense. I thought they were the best defense in the league because the two teams in front of them were in the Eastern Conference. And the Eastern Conference was historically weak that year. But offense has been an issue throughout that stretch of the, uh, of the Lakers. That year they won the title and the year after when they were the best defense in the league. It just didn't matter because it all kind of fit, right? They leaned into their strengths. They had tons of defensively focused players Great size and athleticism on the perimeter to contain guys trying to dribble the basketball. And they had LeBron and Anthony Davis who, when they turn it up on the defensive end, nobody can hang with them from a size and athleticism standpoint. But on the offensive end, they struggled. Ironic, I always referred to that offense as a brute force offense. There wasn't a ton of organization. It was just like, 
here's LeBron, here's Anthony Davis. You can't do anything with these guys. Even if we're if we're running shoddy offense, we're going to score. Well, after last season, after that really ugly loss to the Suns, which again was primarily because Anthony Davis got hurt, not because of anything else other than Anthony Davis getting hurt. But they overreacted to that by shifting heavily towards the offensive end of the floor. So you replace KCP, a guy who is a really good two-way shooting guard in the NBA, with a guy like Malik Monk, who is far more dynamic on the offensive end of the floor, but nowhere near as capable of doing the defensive things that KCP does. You swap out a guy like Kyle Kuzma, who was really frustrating on the offensive end of the floor over the course of his years in LA, but towards the end, that second half of the title season and that entire year in 2021, he became a really good defensive player. He became a really good rebounder and he's huge. And that shift in identity going towards that offensive end of the ball, that was in a, a reaction to what happened against Phoenix. But the irony there is it played away from what they were good at. The reason why is because Frank Vogel, who was one of the best defensive coaches that I've ever seen, his game planning in the 2020 playoff run was a large part of what allowed them to shut down the stars they encountered along the way. He was one of the best coaches in the league in those two years because he was a defensive coach coaching defensive personnel. He was leaning into the strengths of that roster. But the problem is the Lakers switched out all these guys for offensive-minded players, and they come into the game tonight as the 23rd-ranked offense in the league. Think about how difficult that is to be the 23rd-ranked offense in the league with LeBron James, with Anthony Davis, with Russell Westbrook, with all the shooting that they add, with Carmelo Anthony, Malik Monk. These guys, they, they, they leaned heavily into the, off into the offensive end, and they can't score. And the, key, the, the main reason behind that is Frank Vogel is not a good offensive coach. For as much as he is one of the best defensive coaches in the league, he's one of the very worst offensive coaches in the league. If you watch the Lakers play offense, they look like they're playing pickup basketball. They look like a group of guys that you see at LA Fitness. You know, I, I always talk about the idea of actions, running actions on the ball or off the ball. An action on the ball is designed to give one of your best players an advantage. So for instance, a screen and roll, which is what you see everybody do, but like something silly, like someone coming off of a pin down, start in the corner, Guys, that's a down screen. You come up and you catch and you attack. Now you don't have to attack a set defense or a set defender. You're attacking with an advantage that helps you get started at the point of attack. Then off the ball, if everyone stands around, their defenders sit in the paint. They have Because that's just classic defense that every coach at every level of basketball teaches. If your man doesn't have the ball and you're a couple passes away, you have a foot in the paint. And so one of the problems with what the Lakers do is it's a lot of guys just standing around and watching Malik Monk try to score. Standing around watching Anthony Davis try to score. Standing around watching, watching Russell Westbrook try to score. While all of the smart teams in the league, at least all the offensively smart teams in the league, constantly have guys moving around. If you have a guy coming off of an action to start the play and off the ball, and you have guys running an action to try to get open, that occupies defenders and makes things easier. So that was the big backfiring mistake that they made there going towards offense with personnel and not understanding that they didn't have a coaching staff actually equipped to put those guys in position to score. So that's how you have all these offensive talented players who can't score the basketball. And even against a team, you know, uh, against the teams like Portland that they've faced recently, against teams like Atlanta they faced recently, they haven't been able to, in, especially in the big moments towards the end of the game, they haven't been able to create as much offense as they need to. 
That's, that's, a, that's something that backfired. The second big thing that they backfired with is size. You know, everyone thinks of the 2020 Lakers as a huge basketball team, right? Because they played a center next to LeBron and Anthony Davis. So you'd have Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee and Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And you think, man, that team is huge. And they were. But the dirty little secret about that team is they were also huge on the perimeter. They started KCP at like 6'4", 6'5", as a point guard. They started Danny Green at 6'6", 6'7", at the two guard. You know, they had Kyle Kuzma playing on the perimeter, huge player. Markeith Morris, another big guy playing on the wing. They had all of these big guys alongside their big guys. And now you come into this year and you still have that size in the front court, right? You got LeBron James, you got Anthony Davis, you've got DeAndre Jordan, you've got Dwight Howard, but everyone else is small. And constantly throughout this season, they've been playing guys like Avery Bradley, Malik Monk, and Russell Westbrook together. And so now you're trying to compete with NBA teams that have big NBA athletes all over the floor, and you've got a 6'3 point guard on the floor, and a six-foot-tall two-guard on the floor, and a six-foot-three, really skinny Malik Monk at, at playing at small forward. So then you run into teams like the Clippers, who are going to spread you out and attack. And what did you see all night today, today guys? You'd see some really small Laker defender wrapping up Serge Ibaka around the rim, or wrapping up Isaiah Hartenstein around the rim. And it's because the aggregate size of the lineup is too small. And it was way too easy for the Clippers to run basic actions, or hell, just run the floor. If Dwight Howard or Anthony Davis were on the offensive end, crashing the glass, missing a shot around the rim, guys would just sprint down the floor. Next thing you know, you've got a center for the Clippers going up against one of your tiny guards. It was something that plagued them throughout the game, especially towards the beginning. Now, the Lakers countered that towards the end by playing towards their size, and that's the easy way for them to remedy that. There are some bigger players on this roster Mr. Frank Vogel just has to lean more into that. Trevor Ariza, I get it that he's slower. I get it that he's not what he used to be, but he's six foot eight. And just by having a six foot eight guy that can move around a little bit out there, it gives you a better chance of hanging physically with some of these teams. He closes Stanley Johnson tonight. That needs to happen every single night. You can get away with having Russ and Malik Monk out there. You just can't get away with having three of those guys out there. But that was one of the big things that the Lakers did this summer that backfired on them. They went too small. And it's funny because, you know, uh, we were all waiting during free agency. We're like, okay, they signed Trevor Ariza. They signed Carmelo Anthony. Where's the next, where's the next small forward? Are they going to sign Wesley Matthews? Are they going to sign Rudy Gay? Like, who's coming? Is there going to be some other small forward? And it just never materialized. And so all season long, that has been a shortcoming. And they've had to go to literal guys on the street, an undrafted free agent, and a guy in Stanley Johnson, a former lottery pick, who was out of the league. They had to dip into that pool of players to try to fill that obvious need. When anybody who's been watching the league this year, just by looking around at the landscape, knew that you needed to have that size and athleticism on the perimeter. The same size and athleticism on the perimeter that carried them in years past. And then the last thing that backfired on them this year is the Russell Westbrook move. Now, Russ is playing better of late. And I want to be clear, like, he played great tonight down the stretch of the game. He did a lot of the things that I've been critical of him not doing. Taking care of the basketball, defending, taking smarter shots, all that stuff. You know, but the it was the concept of star, star power versus role players, right? So, you know, the idea in theory is you swap out three role players, guys like Kyle Kuzma, guys like KCP, Montrezl Harrell, and you get back a superstar. That's a formula that has worked a lot in NBA history, especially for LeBron. That is a formula that he's leaned on to win championships at many points in his career. 
So I don't fault the man for thinking in that direction. But one of the problems that's happened this year is, as I've described earlier, the Lakers have a shortage of good, solid NBA players on the perimeter that can play roles. Because that's the kind of stuff that carries you in the, in the dregs of the regular season. These things are imperative to winning basketball games. It's like trying to run a football team without an offensive line. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. It was really frustrating watching them this year because they had a, a good quarterback, two-headed running back monster, great wide receivers, a great pass rush, a, a one of the best corners in the league, good young linebacking core, but their offensive line was falling apart throughout the year. And anytime they faced a good pass rush, they lost. And it's because, yes, yes the flash is important, but you have to have guys that are willing to do the dirty work in order to win basketball games. And the Lakers had a lot of guys that weren't LeBron and Anthony Davis that used to do that dirty work. And they shipped a bunch of them out to bring back Russell Westbrook. Now, if Russell Westbrook can tr uh, play like he did in that fourth quarter and bring that type of matchup attacking, making big plays, defending at his position, if he can do that kind of stuff, then the trade is worth it. But the problem is, is more often than not this year, that hasn't been the case. And guys, like, it, it, it's not hating Westbrook. Westbrook fans are absolutely crazy. I'm not hating Westbrook. I am analyzing basketball games. So when Russell Westbrook goes out and he plays a brand of basketball that isn't helping the team, I have to call that out. Because that's what I'm doing by breaking down basketball games. When he plays really well, like he did tonight, I will give him credit for that. I have no intention of, of, of going out of my way to hate on the man. That's not the way that I cover the game. But again, in order for that trade to be worth it, Russell Westbrook has to be a huge net positive. And the way he does that is by focusing on the defensive end of the floor, getting stops at his position, attacking mismatches on the other end, and not turning the ball over. If he can do that, this can work. But more often than not, he hasn't been able to do that this year. And that's why I think it, that's why that trade has been, at least to this point, somewhat of a backfire. So it'll be really interesting to see in the long run whether or not they can remedy that. And at least they need, they need to find somebody out there that can fill some of the responsibilities that Kyle Kuzma was filling, that can fill some of the responsibilities that KCP was filling. Those jobs have to be filled. Now, it's Ben Stanley Johnson, it's Ben Austin Reeves, but you need like three more of those guys. You need at least two or three more of those guys to get in there so that when you go to the bench and it's THT, who's been way too inconsistent this year, or it's Kent Bazemore, who's been really bad most of the year, or it's been Trevor Ariza, who's been mostly bad this year, you can swap those guys out for other guys who have been doing it well. Now, moving on. So this LeBron injury is weird because, like I said earlier, he throughout this season has taken time off to try to avoid, you know, be, be better prepared for the long haul, right? You know, LeBron, guy falls into his ankle, he finishes the game. But then he decides to take a couple weeks off or a week off because he just wants to make sure that it heals all the way. Same thing goes with his, uh, um, uh, with his, uh, uh, the other injury he had later in the season. I'm blanking on what it is now all of a sudden. But this most recent injury you know, it's a little more serious, right? Because these are really meaningful basketball games that he's missing. But I think LeBron has accepted the reality that they're going to be a play-in team. And I think he understands that the most important thing is for him to be healthy because they are going to have an incredibly grueling playoff run. They're going to have to play a really good basketball team in a play-in game just to get into the playoffs. And then from there, they're going to have to beat one of the two best records in the NBA in the first round going into a second round series against a team probably like Memphis, going into the conference finals against the other one of the Golden State Phoenix team that they don't play. He's got a long playoff run ahead of him, so he's got to get rested up. 
But you know, it's funny because I think that this knee injury to LeBron is exactly why it's so important for the Lakers to go all in this season and to do whatever it takes at this deadline next Thursday to send out whatever they can to try to maximize this window. And the reason why is really simple. First of all, you win titles in NBA history by having the best player on the floor. You win titles in NBA history by having a super duper star. Let's go back in time. It was Giannis Antetokounmpo last year. The year before that, it was LeBron James. The year before that, it was Kawhi Leonard. The year before that, it was Stephen KD. Then it was LeBron. If you go back, you might find a handful of teams like the 2014 Spurs or the 2018 Celtics. But even those teams, it's like, that's Tim Duncan towards the tail end of his prime. That's Kevin Garnett towards the tail end of his prime. And those teams had tons of talent. I mean, Kawhi Leonard literally won a finals MVP that year, and he might have been their fourth best player. So the reality is, is you need to have that super duper star and the Lakers do. They have that guy. Before this knee injury, LeBron was probably the best player in the league. That's how well he was playing. He was having these stretches of Draymond Green-esque defensive impact on the back line for the Lakers. And then on the other end, he was having one of the best and most efficient scoring seasons of his career. That's exactly why this is so urgent. When I look at LeBron signing with the Lakers back in 2018, you would have been thrilled if you got two good years out of him. We're on year four, and he still looks like that guy. Now, his knee just randomly blew up today, or the other day. Just started swelling. There may or may not be some weird fluid sack on the back of his knee. I don't know if you guys saw that video that went viral the other day. It was really weird. But his knee randomly got big, because that's what happens with old guys. It's like Carmelo Anthony tonight. Carmelo Anthony did a pump fake, one dribble pull up to the left. A shot he's taken a thousand times in his career. Thousands of times in his career. And you know what? His hamstring ripped. Because that's what happens with older guys. So the reality is, is LeBron is probably getting close to, to the end of that window. But right now he's still there. And the second reason why they have to go all in is because there is an opportunity here. You know, we're going to talk about title odds here in a minute. But if you look around the league, it's like you look at Brooklyn, and Brooklyn's falling apart. They're, they've lost seven of their last nine games. You look at Milwaukee, they already have over 20 losses. They're not, not anywhere near as dominant as they've been in years past. The Miami Heat don't have that super-duper star. You know, Philadelphia, Joel Embiid looks incredible, but they don't have a second star for him. The Phoenix Suns look incredible, but they don't have a superstar. The Golden State Warriors are breaking apart with their health. You know, this back thing with Draymond Green is weird. And the Memphis Grizzlies are probably too young. There is no juggernaut team in here that is very clearly going to beat any rendition of the Lakers. There is a window of opportunity here. There's a window of opportunity. If some things can go right for the Lakers, they can go on a run. And so there's no point in clinging to assets or anything along those lines thinking of, of having one foot in the moment and one foot later on when the reality is, is there's an opportunity here to go try and win a championship. And so even though LeBron's knee is hurt, even though it seems like the window's closing, that's all the more reason to go all in. Not to mention there's a playbook in the NBA, a very easy way for you to go and replenish assets. We've seen so many teams do it over the years. All you got to do is eat salary for a year and take some picks back in return. It's what every team does when things start to go south. The Lake, it's what the Golden State Warriors did in a very short period of time here recently. It's easy to recoup assets in the NBA. You can do that down the line. You don't get LeBron James though forever. You get him for this year. You might get him for one more pretty good year and you're going to get a, a lesser version of him from there. 
And as we've seen with Anthony Davis, he's not really up to the task of being that alpha dog superstar. So the reality is, is this is the chance. This is the chance, and the Lakers have to go for it. I, I think you have to ship THT out. I think you have to ship the 2027 first out, and you have to find three or four able-bodied wings that can fill those roles that I talked about earlier in the show. That's what has to happen in this last week, and I'm really curious to see if they get to that point. So let's move on to uh, uh, the, the title odds, because I thought this was really interesting. So the Lakers right now have, according to FanDuel, have the seventh highest odds to win the championship this year. And it's funny because Brooklyn is still leading the league in title odds on FanDuel. They are the title favorite right now, and they're falling apart even more so than the Lakers are. I joked about this last night a little bit. They are like Lakers East. The difference is, is Kevin Durant was very healthy at the beginning of the year in playing MVP basketball and carried them to a good record to this point. The difference is for the Lakers, they had all sorts of injury concerns early in the season. And then when LeBron, LeBron had his little healthy stretch where he dragged him along in the standings recently, they've had a little bit worse luck on that front. But the truth is, is the bet, the reason why you bet on the Nets to win the title is you're thinking, hey, like, what if James Harden recovers some of his old form? Because James Harden's having one of the worst seasons of his career, certainly his worst season by a mile in terms of what he's been like as the James Harden that we know, not the guy who came off the bench for OKC. But you're, you're, you bet on the Nets because you think, hey, maybe James Harden recovers his form. You bet on the Nets because you think, hey, maybe Kyrie Irving can be productive in, a, uh, in road games in the playoffs, and maybe that's enough. You bet on the Nets because you think, hey, Kevin Durant is Kevin freaking Durant. He's one of the best players in the league. So he can carry us a certain extent. You're betting on things kind of coming together that haven't really materialized. And I think that's really interesting because that's the same case for the Lakers to make their run to the title. You're betting on LeBron James being one of the best two or three players in the world. You're betting on Anthony Davis, kind of like with James Harden, becoming one of the best players in the world. You're betting on Russell Westbrook hopefully becoming a player that can contribute more often than not. In the, now for Kyrie, it's different reasons because he literally can't play in home games, but it's the same type of thing. And you're hoping that maybe at the deadline, just like Brooklyn needs to trade out some older legs for some younger legs, you're hoping that at the deadline they can come up with enough pieces to go on a run. <clears throat> but I think that makes the Lakers an interesting betting opportunity at the seventh highest odds in the league because they have the same case, the same pathway to make it to the finals and to win a championship that the Brooklyn Nets do. And it's every bit as achievable. And especially you guys saw today, Joe Harris, there's a report coming out that says he's probably going to have to get a second surgery on that ankle. So even more reason to see like kind of what I'm talking about here. A lot of things can go wrong for certain teams. There is a window of opportunity here. And I, I, think, the, I think the Lakers have a legitimate chance. Even with all the craziness, the Lakers have a legitimate chance to win. But before we get out of here tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about the Phoenix Suns. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts 
of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does sleeping hot keep you up at night? Meet the Lisa Chill Collection. These cooling mattresses work like magic with a cool-to-the-touch cover, zoned springs, and comfy foam layers. Say goodbye to restless nights and wake up refreshed. Lisa's Chill Mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers that whisk away heat, so you always sleep just right. These hybrids blend up to 1,032 breathable springs and plush foams for the ultimate cooling and comfort. And the Chill Collection doesn't just feel great, it looks great too. With thoughtful design and pillowy quilt tops. No matter your budget, Lisa has a chill mattress for you. For a limited time, save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash iHeart. With Lisa, your purchase has purpose. Every year, Lisa donates thousands of mattresses to those in need. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. So the Phoenix Suns lost tonight um, in Atlanta. And I didn't really take too much from it. They That was a classic shooting variance type of game. Phoenix went 9 for 32 from 3. Atlanta made 23-point shots. Sometimes during the NBA regular season, you have a night, especially on the road, where guys you know are really comfortable on one side and knocking shots down, and your guys just aren't really comfortable and they're not making shots. But before that, the Suns had won 11 games in a row. And to this point, they have the best record in the NBA. So the question becomes... Are the Phoenix Suns a really legitimate title contender? Or are they just an exciting regular season type of story? And I think this is one of the most interesting, like, kind of uh, pathways for us to watch as basketball fans this year. Because Phoenix represents kind of a direction that basketball is heading. Where role players are more valuable than ever. And star players are easier to counter than they've ever been. Kind of like what we've been talking about with the Lakers. You swap out some role players, all of a sudden a bona fide championship contender becomes a dumpster fire. That's how valuable role players are in the NBA today. And the Phoenix Suns have the greatest depth of talent than anybody in the league has. There are three things that I look at with teams in terms of their ability to win the NBA championship. Are they defensively versatile? Yes, the Suns have great defensive versatility. They have three really good athletic wings that can guard multiple positions in Jay Crowder and Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges. They have a dominant center in DeAndre Ayton who can guard some of the best centers in the league. And a great body to throw at Anthony Davis, great body to throw at Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's a really solid defensive player. 
And then Chris Paul is really good at defending at his position, and Devin Booker has made a lot of progress in that regard over the years. They, they cross that defensive versatility box solid. Then I always look at, can guys create their own shots, and can guys create shots for others? And Chris Paul is one of the best in the league at creating shots for others, and Devin Booker is one of the best in the league at creating shots for himself. So in theory, they check all the boxes for a team that can win a title, except for one. And that's that supreme alpha dog. The guy that can look anybody in the face and reach a level on the basketball floor that no one else can reach, or just a handful of guys can reach. That happened last year. Phoenix looked really good on their way to the finals. They looked really good in their first two games of the finals. But then what happened? Giannis Antetokounmpo basically murdered them for the world to see. Because he was able to reach a level as a basketball player that nobody else on the floor could reach. And both of the stars on the Suns were massively marginalized. So Devin Booker had some good games in that finals. He had some stretches of great shot making, but he's a shot maker. So when shots are going in, it looks great. But when they're not going in, he doesn't have a ton of other impact on the game. Same thing goes with Chris Paul. Chris Paul is a great playmaker, but you know, when defenses are keying in on him, and it, uh, the problem for him is he's a little bit older. And so Drew Holiday is just such a better athlete. He was able to really kind of swallow him up and shut him down. And so the thing is, is you, you see these two guys who in the regular season carrying this team look like legitimate weapons. But then when they get in the postseason, they just run into the better guy. And that's why, as we go back through NBA history, you see a superstar holding the trophy every year. But again, we are trending in the direction that maybe that might not matter as much as it used to. And a lot of this has to do with just the evolution of basketball towards Five out principles, right? So in this in this league right now, it is so much more important to have multiple guys that can beat somebody from the uh, from the perimeter and create shots for your teammates. It's so much more important to have multiple guys that can spot up in various parts of the floor and be effective. It's not like the old days. It's not like when you had Shane Battier in the corner or Kyle Korver in the corner or Booby Gibson in the corner. You don't have specialists as often in the NBA anymore. They're not as successful as they used to be. Because as the league has gone towards five out, it's been about having five real basketball players on the floor. Guys who can create their own shot. And if you don't have those guys, teams are so good now at taking away what your stars like to do and forcing those other guys to put the ball on the floor. And if they can't, if they can't do those closeout attacky type of things, then all of a sudden your offense can get shut down. That's what happened to the Lakers in the playoffs last year when Anthony Davis went down. They just loaded the paint on Dennis Schroeder, loaded the paint on LeBron James, and nobody else on the team could make a play. And so that's the angle here for the Suns. The angle for the Suns is if you send a lot of bodies at Devin Booker, if you send a lot of bodies at Chris Paul and you're able to shut them down, that's great. But Mikhail Bridges is an incredible basketball player. Him and Cam Johnson are both shooting over 40% from three, and both of them can put the ball on the floor and get all the way to the rim and finish above the rim or make interesting shots in the mid-range, and they can drive and kick to their teammates. Cam Payne is a, a devastating uh, matchup attacker because he's so incredibly fast at the point of attack, and he can get into the lane and cause all sorts of havoc. Havoc. De DeAndre Ayton, if you switch a small guy onto him, he can bury him down deep and make a, a jump hook. The Suns have a ton of different options that they can go to offensively, and so the whole thing flows. And so it'll be really interesting to see what direction are we going as a league. Are we going in the direction where things are going to stay the way they are and the super-duper stars are going to win? Like is Steph Curry or LeBron James just going to go nuclear through the playoffs and beat everybody? Or Kevin Durant or Giannis Antetokounmpo? 
Or are we going to see a team like the Miami Heat come out? Who don't have that supreme alpha dog talent, but they have a depth of talent down the roster. Because maybe Tyler Harrow's their fourth best player, but he's way better than your fourth best player. And their fifth best player is way better than your fifth best player. And that ends up being what swings things. Memphis is another example like this. But Memphis, Phoenix, Miami, these are the teams that we're going to look at. And it'll be really interesting to see whether or not one of those teams rises to be the first team in a very long time to beat all the superstars. And I don't know. I honestly don't know which one's going to happen. It'll be really interesting to see. If I had to, if you, if I had to guess, I'd say bet with the superstars. Because more often than not, when we get to these big moments, the refs swallow their whistles, everyone's allowed to foul, nobody's open, and it's, hey, can your best guy make a shot? And last year in the playoffs, Chris Paul was rendered ineffective, and Giannis went for 50 in Game 6 of the NBA Finals. And there was nothing Phoenix could do about it. And so maybe that's the direction it's going to stay. It'll be really interesting to see. All right, that's all I have for tonight, guys. Thank you guys so much for coming to hang out. This was a fun first show. I'm really excited to see what we can build here. This is going to be released in podcast form later on. I appreciate your guys' support, and we will be back for Saturday night after the Lakers game. Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed, and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.